Support for the following podcast comes from the Church Mental Health Summit, a free virtual summit with over 50 speakers from around the world, all focused on equipping the local church to support mental health in their communities. To check out the speakers and to register for free, go to churchmentalhealthsummit.com. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. Today's show is the one-year anniversary of the podcast, and I'm going to share some practical ways to create care systems to help manage the needs. But that system needs to be flexible to serve the variety of different needs and complexity of issues. Also, linked in the show notes, I have created a care protocol strategy that I'm offering as a free download. This download is going to to help make your care strategy more intentional and more impactful and be able to communicate with your team. The show notes are at hopemadestrong.org slash episode 52. Time flies. I can't believe that it's been one year already since starting the podcast. It's been such a fun journey and I've met so many great guests and so many listeners. And let me tell you, if you ever had the thought of, oh, I would just love to connect with Laura, please, please do jump on Facebook or Instagram and message me or you can just email me, Laura at Hope madestrong.org. I love connecting with people and hearing what they're doing in their church and how they support their community. I'm an extrovert if you didn't figure that out already. So connecting with people fills me up and it's what I love to do. In the last year, I have worked with churches from Seattle to Florida, up here in Canada where I live, and then all the way down to Virginia, and even spoken to some churches in Texas, and I've learned some incredible things from you. I think what you have going on in your local churches are absolutely amazing. You're supporting your team leaders and congregates and doing some incredible community initiatives and building networks of care through referral partnerships and collaboration. It is amazing to hear what the body of Christ is doing across North America to care and support their people. I've also heard about some common needs. Now, the top needs that I've heard about is loneliness or the lack of resources or the lack of systems to manage the demand. These are the top three needs that I've heard from you over the past year. And this is how I have strived to meet those needs. That first need of loneliness and feeling isolated in the role of care. This is a real thing. So much of church is outreach focused or program focused. And so caring for those inside your church is often siloed or separated. Now I recognize that care often includes local missions and outreach and that is outreach focused as well. But so much of our time and energy is spent supporting those who are already connected to the church in some way. So I've created a Facebook care ministry community. And this is a place where you can connect with other people who are passionate about Jesus, care, mental health, and building the kingdom through support. 
If you haven't joined the Facebook group yet, this is definitely something you're going to want to look into and you might just want to join. So if you want to look up Care Ministry Community and then submit your request to join this private group on Facebook, we would love to have you. Feel free to come with your questions, ideas, and you can hear from others from around the world who are doing similar work than you. It is such a great resource and is such a great way to fill that need of loneliness or feeling isolated in your role and care in your in your local church. Now, the second need that I hear about is a lack of resources. And when we think of resources, that often means time and money. And although I wish I could create uh, money or, or reinvent time or something like that, but that's obviously not possible. But by having the right tools and processes, you can often get results for less and you can become more efficient adding to your time. So that's what I'm all about, creating tools and resources so that you can become efficient and be able to support people without burning out and without wearing out so that you feel that you have energy at the end of the day and that you can be creative and think outside the box to be able to support people. Having worked as a clinician in mental health as a social worker for 15 years, I am very aware that the needs of others are unending, like they're relentless. No matter how, where you turn, there's going to be suffering. It's it's everywhere. And so as ministry caregivers and directors, directors we need to use tools and resources well so that we don't become overwhelmed by the needs of others. Here on the podcast, I hope to introduce you to a lot of different resources to help equip you and give you the tools you need to serve your church and community through guests on the show or maybe even my solo episodes where I like to share practical ideas on caring for yourself and others. I hope that the podcast is able to help you access resources or learn about new resources or find creative ways to meet the needs within your church. I've also created a couple online courses. This might be new for some, you might not know about that. Um, These two courses came out of an awareness of maybe there's not as much available in these two areas. Now, the first one is the Caregiver Toolbox. You can find that at thecaregivertoolbox.org. And this is a small course equipping lay leaders. So like your small groups team, your prayer teams, volunteers to support others. And then the second course is called Finding Hope and Helping. And this is a more comprehensive comprehensive course for ministry leaders to overcome compassion fatigue and burnout. I felt that there were gaps in these two areas and so created some more accessible resources for you in the form of online self-guided courses. Now the third need that I've heard from people is that your care ministry is lacking in processes and systems. It feels like you have so many balls in the air or you're juggling need to need and and this is probably the most common concern and as a result in the past year my one-to-one consulting with churches has really grown. We became much much more aware of this issue and focus on meeting this need. I've heard over and over again that while the needs are growing, the volunteers and services in your community are shrinking. These community resources are becoming harder to access with the growing wait lists and shortages of staff. And this is leaving churches overcome with needs, not knowing how to meet them. And people can start to fall through the crack when you're trying to manage or support and help so many different people with so many different needs. So this is an area that I'm really passionate about and I've really focused on in the last, certainly in the last six months and in with even within the last year. 
And this is where I want to hang out for this episode. And possibly I think many more solo episodes because the need is so great. How can we create a system and process in care ministry that helps manage the needs, but is also flexible to serve the different needs or the complexity of issues that our churches are facing? How can we create a protocol or a process that is best practice or used or in a proven process, but it also adapts to our local church culture? And this is, feels like cracking a code. What will streamline care, but is also able to manage variation and complexity? And while I don't think I have all the answers, that's certainly not true, I think I have a really good suggestion that I believe can be tailored to your church community. And this comes from years of case management and project management training, and comes out of building out a care process in my own local church and the supporting many other churches across North America. And this is what I like to call a care protocol. And no matter what the care is, whether it's benevolence or bereavement or someone has a new baby, it doesn't matter what the care is, you are still followed the four basic steps that are lay out in the care protocol. And I've created this as a free PDF download for you to print off and use it to guide your care protocols. And you can get that by clicking the link in the show notes at hopemadestrong.org slash episode 52. Now I'm going to walk through each step and share exactly what we do at my church and how you can adapt it to your church. And this is this process or protocol is not meant to be prescriptive, meaning that you have to follow these exact instructions in this exact way, because I don't think there's a right answer for everyone. I think we need to have some flexibility and adaptability in every process and every system. What this really is, it's, it's meant to be descriptive in, in that you can adapt and adjust to meet your church's vision and your community's needs and the resources like that you have like software and and what team you have and time capacity that you're that you're working with. I think there are five benefits of having a protocol. The first one being that your staff and volunteers know what to do. There's clarity in people's roles and responsibilities, and you're fielding a lot less questions on what to do. Hey, there's this need. How do I handle that? Or or how do we process this? Or what form do I need to fill out for that? Staff and volunteers know what the protocol is. They know what they need to do. They can they know the steps. So there is a clarity in people's roles and responsibilities and the expectation of the care ministry. The second benefit is that it decreases those feelings of overwhelm and even burnout because when you know the process of the next step, it feels like you're juggling a lot less balls. The the volume of the work feels more manageable. You're not having, you know, you're not having in one day you're dealing with something in in one process or one method and another day dealing with something in in a different way. You're not fielding phone calls, emails, text messages, and walk-in appointments. Everything is streamlined so you know where to look and you have a better idea of what you're managing. And so the volume and the work process and the overwhelm is diminished significantly. 
So the third benefit of having a care protocol is that people know what to expect. And this is different than the first one when we were talking about staff and volunteers. The people I'm talking about in this benefit is your congregation and your community. There's a phrase that is said, and I don't know who says it, but it's my friend says it all the time. Consistency builds trust. Consistency builds trust. And boy, is that true. I've had a lot of questions about why did that person get this support, but my friend didn't get it? Or why why are we handling things this way when we handled it that way for that person? And so we're giving an illusion that there's favoritism or there's special treatment or there's, you know, cliques or, or favoritism or anything like that. The, you really want to have consistent care approach for people so that people can trust that the church cares and that the church is going to do something that when someone is vulnerable enough to share a need, they know what to expect from the church. And so that consistency builds trust and that builds that rapport between the church and the community and the congregant. When there is a consistent way of communicating and caring for people, people begin to believe that you care, that you're doing something about it and that there is no special treatment happening. So the fourth benefit of having a care protocol is that it increases accountability and decreases risk. Now, unfortunately, it is sad to say that our society is becoming more litigious and meaning that there's a lot more legal action happening. And that really is based on your environment or your situation. In Canada, that is not quite as um, people aren't going to do lawsuits or suing people like that doesn't happen as often. But in the US, it's happening and and then other places in the world, it just varies. So I think we need to have ways to keep records and have accountability. Now, by having a care protocol and process, you become less vulnerable to legal issues. Now, obviously, we're not saying that we want to just save our own butts or we want to just look out for number one. That's not what we're trying to do. But it is helpful for you as the caregiver and also the care receiver to know what what has been provided for and what hasn't. And so that having record keeping and, and having a specific protocol protocol and process really does help increase accountability and decreases your exposure to risk. Now, the fifth benefit is is that having a care protocol is a system or a system ensures that people don't fall through the cracks. Now, this is the number one issue that I have heard. I want to be able to support people without people falling through the cracks because this this can be really hard. In churches, we only know what we know. If we don't find out about a need or we don't know if someone's had a baby or surgery or or had a fall or or you know their employment ended if we don't know we can't do something about it so that is often the biggest issue is that people fall through the cracks so having a consistent way of responding to care needs makes it easier to track needs and to track their outcomes and as a caregiver you're more confident that people aren't falling through the cracks so those are the five benefits of having a care protocol or a care system system in place. So now I want to move on to actually what the care protocol that I'm suggesting is all about. So here is the simple four-step care protocol that I use in my church. It is very simple. It is very high level, meaning that it's like the view from 30,000 feet. It is an overview of how every single care need is addressed and processed in 
our church. And this is what I recommend for other churches for the reasons that we already talked about, those five benefits. So the first step is receiving. So obviously we need to receive the care need. And as I mentioned, if we don't know about it, we can't um, do anything about it. So we want to be able to receive care needs in a variety way. This is where knowing your community is really best. Are people hanging out on social? Do you have a text campaign like Texas, text care to this number? Or or do people really use email? What is the method that people use? Commun- what, what What is the method or the, the vehicle that people communicate with? Is it a phone call? There can be different for every church in every community. But I think it is a must that all requests are sent to the care coordinator. Rather than having all the requests separated out into maybe ministry programs, say youth and children and seniors, all requests need to be sent through an individual, a care coordinator. Because oftentimes, as we know in churches, the families are in multiple programs or multiple ministries. And so it's really helpful to have a care coordinator able to know what is going on within the whole family rather than individual ministry or programs. For small churches, this role can be included in other functions or other responsibilities like the pastor or the or the associate or, or the family pastor. But I find that with churches over 500 people, that the time required to manage all the care needs that would come in may need to be a dedicated part-time or even full-time role. And so it's, I think it's really helpful to identify who is going to act as the care coordinator, whether they have dual roles or dual functions, or if that is an independent separate role for an individual. And with receiving a care need, there needs to be a consistent method of communication. For my church, it doesn't matter if it's a text, email, note from guest services, a phone call or prayer request that goes through the website. It all goes to the care coordinator through a planning service uh, planning service online form, a PCO form. And I have developed many, many forms for our planning center um, system so that whether there's a form for benevolence or a form for visitation or a birth or a funeral, there's many forms that can be filled out to collect the appropriate information. One form versus many. I've had a couple conversations with our, our, our leadership about whether there should be one form, which is a very long form with that that collects all the information of every possible need, or if we should have many different forms that are individual for each unique need. And and our church has chosen to have many forms because they all get directed to the care coordinator anyway. But I wanted to make it easier for people to engage with care. And having a form for your specific need is significantly easier than having to fill out a form about something that does not relate to you. And this would work as if someone identified that they had a need and they called in or they emailed, the form could be copied and pasted from the email with their name and their contact information and what the prayer request or what the need is, or they can reply to the email or reply to the phone call, collecting more information or maybe even emailing the link to the form for them to fill it out themselves. Either way, a form is completed so that we have that record of the need and a workflow is begun with the care coordinator. The care coordinator triages and refers 
all of the needs to the most appropriate person. And this is when it would get diverted out to a youth leader or a children's pastor or the senior people, the small group seniors program or whatever uh, ministry program it would be. Uh, The care coordinator doesn't always or the pastor doesn't always meet every need that comes in. I don't think that's realistic. But I do feel that that first step of receiving a care need needs to go through a central care coordinator or someone who's working in that care coordinator function so that we can stay consistent and that we know that uh, what the right hand is doing and the left hand is doing and that no one falls through the cracks. Okay, so that is the big first step, the first step of receiving their care need. Now, the second step of the care protocol is respond. Once the care coordinator triages and refers the care need, refers the need, there is a response to it. And how you respond to a need is unique to your church, your community, the skill set that you have access to, the volunteer team that you have. And I've created a flowchart or a pathway for almost every care need. So whether it's a birth, death, prayer requests, meal, support, one-on-one spiritual care, whatever the process might be, I have laid out in my consulting work with churches a pathway, a recommended pathway or a sample pathway of how to be able to meet that need. So by mapping out these needs or mapping out the processes, I know that when there is a death, when we, who's going to follow up, when these are going to be follow up, and there's a continuity of care. And this really allows me to manage my workload, allows me to spread the need out to the whole team, because there is a pathway or a workflow that we're able to follow that everyone has access to or all the staff and the key volunteers have access to. Okay, so the first step was receive the need. The second one is respond to the need. The third step is reporting. This is probably the most often overlooked step. Every single response needs to be recorded. As a clinician, I was told that if I don't write it down, it didn't happen. And that I should always write my notes, imagining them being blown up and viewed on a big screen in a court. And while this isn't necessarily the reality of a church care team, I think there's some wisdom that we can take from this from this warning or this encouragement. In most churches, we work as a team. The pastor may meet with the family after a death, but the youth leader will speak with the teens about their loss. And, and then the meal coordinator will be delivering the meals and probably chat with the family on the front step. There's multiple people meeting this one family's need, and it is super helpful uh, to, to know what the right hand is doing because sometimes these needs can be lost and then information is not translated well. And this can be avoided by keeping record of each touch point. In my church, we use Planning Center, and I've created note categories that manages who has access to those notes so that confidentiality can be maintained. And if you don't use Planning Center, then a Google Drive is a great alternative. You're able to have different folders and manage the privacy and the access to those folders. And while ministry caregivers are not clinicians, I still think it's wise to have a high standard in record keeping. The benefits are huge and it only takes a quick moment to write a note that a phone call was placed or that you met someone on a day and time and who was present and what the outcome was. It's just that simple. And it's really really helpful for the whole team and it's really helpful for that accountability piece. Now the fourth step of the care protocol is follow-up. 
all care requests require some sort of follow-up and closure, even those requests that cannot be supported. By follow-up, I mean that there is closure or there is a, a resolve that happens. And this can happen through an email, text, a phone call, or even an in-person chat. At my church, there are three care engagements that are automated so that a personalized response is not required. So a unique response through a phone call or in-person. And this reduces the workload while offering high levels of care. Those three times are when a prayer request is submitted online, when someone is a first-time guest, and when someone responds electronically to a salvation call. When those one of those three happens, a automation or an email automation or text automation is sent out. And in each of those automations, we invite people to engage. And once they've engaged, we can have a unique response. But if they don't engage through an email response or a phone call or a text response, we still want to be able to find closure or link them to the next step. And that next step might be linking them to a faith coach or connecting for a coffee chat with our pastor, giving them or introducing them to our newsletter. These are the final steps in some of these automations. For other needs outside of online prayer requests, acceptance for salvation and new visitors, follow-up timelines and the personnel responsible vary depending on the care need. And those are obviously laid out in the individual care pathways. For example, when there is a new birth, the pathway we created includes the children's pastor and the volunteer moms group leader. Not every need needs to be addressed by the pastor or even a care coordinator. And I think that is also really important for the follow-up because if, if the pastor is the only one offering care, it is really hard to manage or sustain that level of support. We want to link people to the community of care that's offered at your church. High-level care protocols and individual situations are going to vary in how you offer care, but every opportunity for care includes those four steps, receiving the care need, responding to the care need, reporting the care need, and having some sort of follow-up. This ensures consistency, that fewer people fall through the cracks, and creates a process that helps becoming overwhelmed with needs. And I've outlined these four steps in that free download and include, and that also includes common do's and don'ts for care. Do's like use every content point, contact point, email, in-person, phone, and form as an opportunity to extend compassion and grace and to enrich the values of belonging, purpose, and hope. Do's like maintain confidentiality unless duty requires and only share what is absolutely necessary with those in leadership roles within the church where permissions are implied. There's also don'ts like don't use judgment or invasive questions or shame-based language in any encounter. Or don't promise support. That's emotional, financial, or service support. Confidentiality, don't promise secrecy or special treatment. Having this one-page document care protocol is a great way to communicate the care process with your staff and leadership team. It's simple, but yet it identifies the core needs of sending all care needs to one person, the care coordinator, offering support consistently, keeping notes and a report, and ensuring that there is follow-up. 
I really hope that this download is useful to you and your team, and that by having a care protocol or process, that you are able to help manage that workload, and that your team will know what care is being offered, and that it helps your church community, because people feel that they don't fall through the cracks, and that they know that it's going to be follow-up. As I said at the opening of this episode, this might not be the answer, or I don't have all the answers. This is just one way of approaching care. And I would love to hear from you and how you offer care. So please, let's connect. Jump on Instagram or the Facebook group and let's connect on how you offer care at your church. Thanks for listening. I hope what you've heard today and I hope what was offered today was brought you encouragement and support. Don't forget to grab that download at hopemadestrong.org slash episode 52. And if you want to be reminded when an episode goes live, make sure you follow. Thanks for connecting. Take care.